Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Everything that I talk about on this broadcast centers around the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything that I talk about, everything that we bring up, every single topic, and and you'll notice it, it always ties back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about the cross of Christ today, but I entitled today's broadcast, Pick Up Your Own Cross and the Cost of Discipleship. You know, Jesus didn't say, if you follow me, you're never going to have to give up anything. You're never going to have to do anything for me. I'm just going to bless you like you're a baby in a nursery with a feeding bottle. That's not how this book works. That's not how God operates. Jesus said, and we're going to read it in Mark 8. But before I do that, I want to read Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. These are the words of Jesus Christ. To his disciples, in verse 25, he says, Now great multitudes went with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. He cannot be my disciple. Now people get mixed up there, and they say, well, Jesus is telling us to hate our parents? Jesus is telling us to hate our brothers and sisters? Doesn't he preach love? Didn't he say, this command I have for you, that you love one another? So what is this? Is Jesus double-minded? He's not saying that you should go out and hate your siblings, or hate your parents, or hate the people around you, in that you're, you're like an antagonist in their life. You're opposed to them. What he's saying is that your level of commitment and loyalty to me has to far exceed your level of loyalty and commitment to even your own family. You have to be ready to give everything up if you're truly going to be my disciple. Remember, Jesus told three people in the New Testament to follow him. He told that man, follow me. What did the man reply? He said, "Uh, sir, I must go and bury my father. He still had ties to his home. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, you follow me. Then he went to another guy and said, follow me. He said, I've bought five yokes of oxen. I've got to go and test them. It's for my business. He wasn't tied in. He had no eternal mindset. He was totally set on the temporal things, which Colossians 3 says, If you have been raised up with Christ, you should keep seeking those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. If you've been raised up, if you're born again, if you've been redeemed, the Bible tells us there's one of the proofs that you've been redeemed, one of the uh, litmus tests that you can take yourself through that shows that you're redeemed, that you're born again, is that your eyes aren't on temporal things. Paul admonishes the church of Corinth. You should not look on the things which are temporal which are seen which are here today and gone tomorrow those are the people that are building their lives on wood hay and stumble which when the fire comes it's gonna burn it up it's gonna consume it's gonna reveal that their lives were wasted living for such useless things but then he says set your eyes on the things which are eternal which the things are unseen set your eyes on the things of heaven where Christ is seated set your mind on things above there's this saying i mean i remember when i got saved i had people tell me you know you got to be careful
careful that you're not too heavenly minded, that you're no earthly good. Almost making it seem like Paul was crazy for saying that we should set our mind on things above and that we, you know, that's not realistic and it's not very practical. Let me tell you, the most, the people that make the most impact in this life are those who have their minds set on the next life. The people that have the most impact here on earth are those that are totally tied in and knitted with the purposes of heaven. So you can't be too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. The more heavenly minded you are actually will result in you becoming way more good on this earth. And I don't mean good as in a good person. I mean good as in you'll do better. Jesus said it this way, that if your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light and you will let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good works and glorify your God, a God who is in heaven. So when you look on things above, you're keeping your eyes single. Jesus, when he said we are to keep our eyes single, he was saying you're to keep focus. David in the Old Testament, there were, uh, God commended him because he was a man after God's own heart. That's what it means to be after God's own heart. And you can't truly be after God's own heart until you have made him your number one priority for living. I mean, you got to ask yourself every single day. You should ask yourself, what is my reason for living? Why am I on this earth? What is my life? What am I doing with my life? A person who never ask that is very foolish there are usually people that are just wandering aimlessly through life not knowing where they're going where they're coming from and they do nothing for God and and I don't even they might not even make heaven with an attitude like that people that make the most impact here on earth are those that understand life is not funfair life is not just us enjoying things life and I'm not against enjoying things and I'm not against having you know pleasure in life Jesus God said in the old testament in my presence there is pleasures forevermore i'm not against pleasure but understand this paul said that i have been crucified with christ it's no longer i that lives so i'm not living a please self i'm living to please him and you'll find out very quickly when you live to please him that pleasure that he has the joy he has the peace he has the happiness he has begins to flood your heart and and it changes you it changes the countenance of your face so jesus is saying if you don't Hey, if you don't put my purposes above the purpose and the agenda and um, the, the, your loyalty to your own family, you cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he's not saying, you know, they're, they're still my disciple, but, you know, I might not be able to meet, use them much. He's saying, you can't even be my disciple. I mean, I heard Leonard Ravenhill say this just earlier as I was preparing for this broadcast. He said, there's like, I, he's convinced that like 90% of people that confess themselves to be Christ, uh, Christians, are not even saved. It's one thing to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's one thing to, to use your mouth to like uh, call yourself a Christian and confess Christianity and know the Christian lingo and know the scriptures and know the Bible and all that. But if there's no molecular change that occurred on the inside, if the gospel did not come with an experience, then you didn't have a gospel encounter because the gospel, anybody in the New Testament that had an encounter with Christ, there was always an experience. I'm not saying you saw an angel, you saw anything like that. I'm talking about the experience 
experience of the regeneration, the rebirth by which God takes out the old heart, takes out your old vile passions, takes out your old vile nature, takes out those, those, the, those, those thoughts of immorality, those thoughts of wickedness, takes out the old desires, the old passions, the old reasons for living. And instead, that heart of stone that he rips out of you, God puts in you a heart of flesh, a heart that's willing to follow his commandments, a heart that is tied and knitted to the purpose of heaven, a heart that has laid aside the old man and has put on the Lord Jesus Christ, no longer making provision for the flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, the Bible says he will take out the old heart of stone and he will put in you a new heart. And in that new heart, he'll make you willing to walk and follow after his commandments. Isaiah 1.10 says, If ye be willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. Those far too people, the reason why they're not seeing the blessing of God in their life, they're not seeing the goodness of the land in their life, they're not seeing the, 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 the plan of God unfold for their life, they're not seeing healing, they're not seeing deliverance, they're not seeing breakthrough in everything pertaining to their life is because they haven't first followed the number one command of Jesus to every one of his disciples and it's not live for self and work things out and, and, and I'll bless you no matter what you do in life. It's first you need to pick up your cross, bear your cross and come after me because until you do that, you're not a disciple and until you subscribe to being a disciple, you're not entitled to God's blessing. Until you subscribe to God's disciplines, you cannot be a partaker of his divine nature. Until you subscribe to discipleship with Christ, you're not entitled, you're not a candidate to receive anything from heaven. That's why Paul, time and time again, is reminding the people that he was writing to, you have to live, that you're crucified to this world. You have to live with the mindset that life is, is a period of time that God gives people to first repent and then gives them time to, to add to the eternal account in heaven, to store up treasure in heaven, to do things that have eternal value. There's an old preacher that, that used to pray a prayer that I pray and I've adapted into my prayer vocabulary. I say, I pray this almost weekly. I say, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs that I might live in light of it. You know, the Bible says very clearly, there are people who are building in this life and this life alone. They're storing up treasures here on this earth. The, Jesus said there was a rich man who had a great crop come in one year in his harvest time and he began to reason to himself I don't have big enough barns you know what I'm going to do I'm going to tear down my barns and then I'm going to put I'm going to put bigger barns, build bigger barns, and store my crops there. And then I'm going to tell myself, soul, you have many years. Eat, drink, be merry, for, uh, for, for we have many years of rest and peace. Pretty much people that they work 9 to 5, 9 to 6, 9 to 7, 9 to 8, 9 to 9, just to store up for 15 to 20 years of retirement and take no thought of eternity. How foolish is that? It's like having, I saw a preacher do it this way. There's a long rope, and on one end of the rope is a a little bit of tape and then the rope just kept going and imagine it was like an unlimited rope it just never ended people are putting more thought in that one little square inch of that little square that one inch of tape that's on the rope they're putting more thought more resources more energy investing in that not knowing there's eternity that is at hand i don't want to be one that gets before jesus one day and he says you fool 
You fool. There was so much you could have done. There was so much you could have accomplished. You, you, you lived for the now. And as a result, you know, the Bible says God's going to separate the goats from the sheep. I'm not saying you are saved by works. But I am saying when you get saved, there should be something that comes in you that puts you to work. If you don't have... Uh, uh, if there's no change in you, then I doubt you've ever had a change. It's like me walking on a highway. Imagine I was walking on a highway and then uh, uh, an 18-wheeler passed by me and I ended up getting to the destination I was going to and I got to the destination and people asked me, what took you so long? And I said, an 18-wheeler hit me. It didn't hit me. It just passed by me. I'd be a liar because if it had hit me, I wouldn't look the same. I wouldn't talk the same. I might not even be alive. That's how people are with, with, with the gospel. They think that just going to church is enough. That's just Jesus passing by you. Every time you're in church, he's passing by you. But it's not enough for him to pass by you. He, you have to have an encounter with him whereby there's an evident change to the people around you. That's not somebody who just talks about Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people, they know a lot about Abraham Lincoln. They've studied Abraham Lincoln. They can talk to about Abraham Lincoln for 19 hours straight. But they don't know Abraham. Lincoln he's dead they never met him they don't know his heart they have never had an encounter a personal contact with Abraham Lincoln because he's dead in the same vein I don't want to just have a historical Jesus where I'm just talking a lot about him but I've never encountered him I want to encounter him and Paul said it this way in Philippians 3 I want to know him in the power of his resurrection there's a lot of talk about that in, in Christianity and we should and and you know what some of you might be confused because you always watch our broadcast and you're saying man don't you talk about healing and and you talk about God prospering you and you talk yeah those things are all great and those things are necessary and those things are all biblical and I'll never stop talking about them and I'll never stop emphasizing them because part of the cross of Christ is the redemptive part of the bet um, what happened at the cross of Christ is that we received a redemption package from the hands of God whereby we have access to healing we have access to his prosperity plan we have access to his goodness we have access to his help we have access to his peace but i want to make it clear to you a lot of people one of the biggest biggest hindrances to accessing those things is be, is is the 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 fact that they've never crucified their own flesh paul said that i might know him in the power of his resurrection then he says this in the fellowship of his suffering and having been conformed unto his death so he says, I can't even attain to the power of his resurrection until I've been conformed first to his death. You can't have resurrection power until you first die to self. And so that's why I wanted to do this broadcast. Let me keep on reading. Luke 14, 20, 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? I want you to write that in the comment section. Count the cost. Count the cost. Too many people do not count the cost. And I, I have to say that a lot of preachers have made it. It's not hard to get saved. 
I preach it. You, you, you have to believe in your heart, truly believe, sincerely believe, and then confess with your mouth, Romans chapter 10, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. However, there's far too many preachers who don't talk about the cost of Christianity. They don't talk about the fact that you're going to have to sacrifice many things. And then I'll go on the other side. There's far too many preachers that all they talk about is the sacrifice. All they talk about is the cost. All they talk about is the, 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 the initial suffering of becoming a Christian. And they don't talk about the reward. They don't talk about how Jesus said, whoever gives this up for my name's sake and the gospel's sake shall in this lifetime receive a hundredfold houses and properties and lands. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. You can read that. So there is a reward to it. So I want to find the middle of the road. There's people that get into the ditch on each side. Some, it's all about the reward. They never even talk about this cost. They never talk about the sacrifice. Then there's others. They only talk about the sacrifice. All they do is talk about how, you know, it's always die to self, die to self, die to self. Yes, die to self. But there has to come a point where you, like Paul said in Hebrews, we press on to, to, to the mature things of Christ. We press on into maturity. We're not laying again a foundation of dead works, um, of, of, of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. We're moving on. But I want to find ourselves today in the middle of the road. And Jesus said, you have to count the cost. You have to count the cost. For which of you does not, who is intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. That's why you see a lot of people start out well. They start out well. They get saved at a revival meeting or an evangelistic crusade. And then it, like a couple of months later, they're a wreck. They're back into sin. They're back into their old ways. It's because they first, I, I believe... Like I'd say in 80 to 90% of the time, it's because they did not count the cost. Jesus said that the word of God is a seed and there's different types of soil that the seed goes into. There's the wayside soil, which is just like the, the rocky stones. When the seed is sown, immediately the devil comes in and snatches away the seed that's sown in their heart. So that never even gets rooted. That never even gets planted. It's like an immediate thing. It's people that come, they hear the gospel preach and they said, I don't want anything to do with that. Those people are crazy. I, you know, they're all just a bunch of loony bins. That, that's that's the, the first soil, the wayside. Those are the people that they mock Christianity. They never, they never got it. Their eyes were never open to the truth. But then Jesus says there's another soil that is very, it's very shallow. And so when the seed is sown, immediately it does grow up and bring forth fruit. But because it doesn't have firm, uh, it doesn't have much soil and it doesn't have rich soil, it, when the sun arises, and there's tribulation or trouble or problems that arise because of the word that they said they believed in, they immediately back down, they immediately fade away, they wither up from the root, and they're not found in church for the rest of their life. That's the type of person who has never counted the cost. But I'm praying, and then you know there's a third soil. This is the, the thorny soil. These are the people that receive the word, but then the cares of this life. They've not crucified their flesh. They've not denied themselves. They're still living for their money. They're still living for finances. They're still living for, for um, retirement. They're still living to make their best life here on the earth. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. 
That's the thorny soil. They never bear any fruit. They're living for the now. But then Jesus said there's another soil that is fertile soil, and it's rich, deep soil. When the seed is sown on that soil, it indeed springs up, brings forth a crop, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. And I believe that God is going to till the soil of your life tonight, to, today, to be that type of soil, to be the one that receives from the word and doesn't just sit on it, but actually brings forth a crop, actually brings forth a harvest, actually does something with the thing that God, you know, the gospel is an investment God made in you. He invested the gospel in you. And so we can either just take it and leave it like that man who had the one talent and did nothing with it, or we can take it and multiply what God put in us so that we can have eternal reward as a result. Mark chapter 8. Today's broadcast. The c- Pick up the cross. Pick up your cross. The cost of discipleship. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Actually, let me start with verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And when he had called the people to himself, With his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus starts off by, in this portion of scripture that I read, He's explaining to his disciples, my time on the earth is soon coming to an end. He started to talk about his death that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. He started to talk about he was going to be betrayed into the sons of men, into the hands of the sons of men. He was going to be betrayed into the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were going to beat him. They were going to mock him. They were going to whip him. And they were going to kill him. And on the third day, he was going to rise again. Remember this. Jesus said, for this purpose have I come. What was Jesus' purpose? It was to die. Jesus is the only man who was born to die. He's the only person that was ever born to die. His purpose, the thing he was sent to accomplish in life, was to sow his life into the earth as a seed, a seed of righteousness, uh, planted by God himself to bear the sins of many, so that in his resurrection, we too can have access to eternal life. So Jesus is talking about what he's about to accomplish, and... Peter speaks up. He's like kind of like wondering, what is this guy talking about? Because, you know, they had spent three and a half years together, about three years at this point, and he's starting to freak out because we just had all this progress. You know, we just, we're starting to gain traction. We're starting to see miracles. We're starting to see people coming. Even Gentiles are coming to hear the word of the Lord from your mouth. What are you talking about? 
you're about to get betrayed. And I mean, wh- wh- why did we follow you if that's the case? Jesus looked at Peter because Peter was saying, far be it that that should ever happen to you. See, people think that Jesus, uh, Peter was demon-possessed. That's why Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. De- G- Peter was not demon-possessed. Peter was speaking with the same mind that, de- that the devil had which was to prevent Jesus from accessing the cross. Peter was like lending his mouth to the devil's opinion at that very moment. And that's why Jesus turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying, Peter, you're full of the devil. He's saying that thought that you just spoke and voiced is full of the devil. It's full of what the devil doesn't want me to do. Because if Jesus didn't go to the cross... Peter would have, that's why I love what it says. Jesus looking around at his disciples, then looked to Peter and spoke to him, get thee behind me, Satan. It's like Jesus heard that, and it was like another temptation of the devil to try and get him to back down, you know what I mean? But then Jesus immediately, looking at the disciples, felt compassion for them again, felt love for them, and said, no, get thee behind me, Satan. I was born to do this thing. I was born to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And then it's interesting that from that, he then moves into Mark 8.34 and starts to say, if any man desires to come after me, he's going to have to have the same mind that's in me. He's going to have to have that mind in them. And so I've written down here four points based on what Jesus said. The first thing Jesus said, if you're going to follow him, is whoever desires to come after me. The first thing you're going to need to do today is you're going to have to have a desire to actually follow Jesus. If you don't have a desire, you're not going to have determination to stick to the path. See, there's a lot of people that they start off well, but then because they don't fan to flame that desire that they received that salvation, that first love, that desire wanes and wanes out, and as a result, they lose the drive. If you lose the desire, you're going to lose the drive. And if you lose the drive, you're destined for, you're going you're gonna to die. You're not going to make it very far. Desire is important. There has to be. That's why we preach. The whole point of preaching is to, to generate a desire in people to follow Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that say, you know, you, you, you know, when you preach, you sound like you're persuasive. You're trying to persuade people. Yeah, that's the whole point of, per, of preaching. Paul in Acts chapter 26, he's talking to King Agrippa, and King Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Paul said, I would not that only you become a Christian, but everyone in my hearing would become a Christian and, and be just as I am except for these chains. So Agrippa, as he was listening to Paul preach, there was a desire that rose up from within. Preaching has to have a persuasive element to it. It should cause like salivation where you start to, like David said, pant after the Lord like a, like a deer panteth after the water creek. It should put in you a, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. A desire to seek the kingdom of God above everything else. Good anointed preaching should put a desire in you to forsake this present world and, ha- and, um, and have a drive to live the most of your life for, for the next. Desire has to come first. And then I'll say on the flip side, there's a lot of people that have a desire, but then that desire leaves. 
And that's, you know, Jesus said many are called and few are chosen. There's a lot of people, as I said before, they're like the fertile soil. They start off well. They have that initial desire. But because they don't actually maintain the soil of their heart, they're not constantly planting the word and watering it with the word. And they're not tilling the, the soil of their heart. And they're not exposing themselves to um, good anointed preaching. That keeps them in the mindset of looking towards the things of heaven. Eventually, that desire goes because they don't fan it into flame. Paul said that as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should endure hardship. But then he moves on to say, no soldier who's enlisted in active duty entangles himself in the things of this life so that he might please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So God, Paul is comparing the Christian walk as you being enlisted in an army and God's the commanding officer. And you have to live, the desire in you has to be so that you're not entangling yourself with the things of this world. You know, if you hang around people that have no desire to follow God, that desire to follow God that you initially had is going to go away. Do you understand that your immediate surroundings is going to greatly influence and affect your desires in life? Do you understand that if you hang around people that have unholy desires that have uh, no spiritual desires you're going to fall lukewarm your environment is going to set the pace for your life that's why I've made it a point I don't hang around you know it's amazing to me because I'll, I'll meet some preachers that within 40 50 minutes of talking to them 30 minutes of talking to them they don't even they have you can tell they have no desire they may have had it once, and that's why they got into the ministry, but they have no desire. It's like it's gone out. That There's an apathy that has overwhelmingly took over in their heart, and they have no desire for the things of God. And the way I know is because for 40 minutes, you, don't even, you haven't even talked about what God's doing in your life. All they do is talk about sports, talk about football, talk about the latest trade in the NHL, talk about, they literally, you know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. There's no desire in their heart, and so their mouth voices absolutely no desire for the things of heaven. They're, they're, they're so earthly minded. The Bible says their mind is on earthly goods. You know, the scripture says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, um, Paul is saying, that I'm telling you, and I've written to, this, to you this before, but I'm reminding you again that there are many that are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I know they're enemies is because they, their God is their appetite and they set their minds on earthly things. Meaning their God is their appetite. Whatever feels good to them, that's what they do. They have no discipline because they have no desire. It goes back to desire. And then secondly... Their mind is set on earthly things. They don't even know. They couldn't keep a conversation about Jesus for more, longer than 40 minutes if their life depended on it. That's why many of their sermons are like 23 minutes. They have like 48 minutes of singing, 20 minutes of preaching, and then they're expecting revival to hit the place. That's not how it works. Smith Wigglesworth, who they called the apostle of the faith, a mighty man of God that raised the dead. So until you can raise the dead, we pretty much shouldn't talk too badly about uh, good old Smith Wigglesworth because he raised multiple people from the dead. Smith Wigglesworth is, uh, I, I remember reading a, a biography on him where there was a man, they were on their way to pray for someone that was in a hospital and on their way there, uh, he asked the pastor to like join him in the car and as they were driving there, 
He re- like for 30 minutes, they were just talking about the government situation in England and what was going on in politics. So Wigglesworth, they were both in the backseat of a taxi cab. Wigglesworth shouts out, stop the car. And the cab slams the brakes. And he looks back, is everything okay? And Wigglesworth just says, bow your heads. And they bowed their heads. And he said, Father, forgive us for not having brought you into our conversation in the last half hour. We know that that's not right. And we're not going to do it again. Forgive us. And then they started to talk about God till they got to the place. But you learned a secret there. That man didn't have the intimacy he had with God because he was so tied to earthly things. He was so consumed and obsessed with building his life. He was used mightily of the Lord because his desire, like David, he had a heart after God's own heart. That's what I'm here to tell you today. If you feel like you're not qualified to be used by God, you feel like, man, I I don't know how God can use me. I've never been smart. I've never been bright. I've never been wise. I've never been strong in things. I've never been a good solution provider or problem solver. I'm here to tell you, God looks at the God does not look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. God looks at your heart. And there are many of you watching right now. Your heart is what I'm talking about right now. And you've disqualified yourself by the words that you speak, saying, I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. But God has specifically put his hand on you to do something in your generation. So quit speaking with false humility, saying, I don't know how. No, start to say, God's going to use me. God's going to use my life. I'm going to be a hammer in God's hand to build a work for him on the earth. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend my life for the gospel. So first, you have to have a desire. You have to have a desire. Number two, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny myself. Let him deny himself. Number two, in the process of picking up your cross and living a, a disciplined life, and the cost of discipleship at, in, in large. Number two is you need to have self-denial. You need to deny yourself. I see we have Brother Phil Hutchins on from New Brunswick. There's somebody who counted the cost just recently. He's the pastor that got arrested in New Brunswick for having kept his church open uh, when the province literally lost their mind and were mandating vaccine passports for churches. And so he said, heck no, I'll never deny Somebody coming into my church who's not vaccinated, whoever you are, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter the gender, doesn't whatever you are. If you're male, female, poor, rich, slave, free, vaccinated or unvaccinated, you're welcome in this place. And he, he took heat for it, but you know what? God got him out of, he was in jail for a full week or something. God got him out of jail and the Lord's going to stand with you, Phil. I, I'm standing with you. God, God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to feel the fourth man standing with you. I know you've already had that. And you're going to come out on top. There's going to be a, a great promotion. I feel it, man, in my spirit. You're going to have a great promotion from the Lord. And the things God put in your spirit, what was meant as a setback in the last couple of weeks, is actually just going to set you up for greater things. Deny yourself. Self-denial. An experience with God that costs nothing, does nothing. I'm going to repeat that again. An experience with God that costs nothing, will do nothing. Galatians chapter 5, let me read this. Galatians chapter 5, 
See, people think self-denial is like speaking bad about yourself. Self-denial is like just talking talking like, you know, you're the worst person on the universe. Or we're all just wretched human beings. We're all just, that's not self-denial. Self-denial is not self-degradation, where you're just constantly berating yourself with the words that you speak. Self-denial is what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, so this is the works of the flesh, and they're evident. Things you can see. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I've told you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, those who practice such things will never inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let's now walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So Paul says that your flesh has desires. And if you don't keep it in check daily, remember, these are daily things you have to do. It's not one time I denied self, or one day I picked up my cross. This is a daily thing. You have to have a daily desire. There has to be a daily, that's why, going back to point one on desire, that's why it's good to listen to good anointed preaching daily because it fans that desire to flame so you never have a lukewarm, weak spirit. But there's always a desire. Once that desire comes, then you have power to deny yourself. And that self-denial has to take place daily. What is self-denial? Paul says all of the, he lists a bunch of things, adulteries, idolatry, Trees. idolatry idolatry he talks about envy he talks about wrath he talks about witchcraft he talks about sexual immorality he talks about heresies and drunkenness and dissensions and murders and anger he says these are the deeds of the flesh this is what your flesh naturally wants to do this is what tainted the human being when adam sinned these qualities and characteristics invaded the human being because in Eden they didn't have the desire to get mad in Eden they were perfect they had the likeness of God they had God in they they had the holy ghost they they were in, they didn't have desires for evil they had no appetite for evil they had no taste no absolutely zero ambition for evil the moment Adam ate of that fruit and Eve ate of that fruit all of these ambitions all of these negative things, all of these sinful traits invaded the human vessel, the human being. And ever since then, the natural tendency of the flesh, that's why Paul, you'll read it in Corinthians, he talks about the carnal man. What is the carnal man? 
People use that term all the time. Oh, he's carnal, he's carnal. They don't even know what it means. To be carnal is to be fleshly, to be led by the flesh, to be led by the deeds or the, the, the desires of the flesh, to be fleshly driven, to be a sensual person. What's a sensual person? Jude rebukes a people in his letter saying these men are sensual and they don't have the spirit of God. What is sensual? It's someone who's led by his senses, what he can touch, what he can taste, what he can feel, what he can see, what he can hear. When you are a sensual person, you're categorized as a carnal person um, as found in the scriptures. And Romans 8 says to be carnally minded. What's to be carnally minded? To have these things dominate your mind all the time. You're always thinking of, 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 of these things. You're always thinking of anger. You're always thinking of unforgiving thoughts. You're always thinking of sorcery or hatred or contentions. You're always thinking of gossip. You're always thinking of those things. When you have that dominating your mind, you can know there is carnality in your life. And Paul says to be carnally minded is death. That's why when you fill your mind with gossip, what do you feel? You don't feel good. You don't feel like running around your house. You don't feel like you just want to hug the world. When you talk about gossip, gossip, and I know you don't have to put one in the chat, but I know if I ask people to do to put one in the chat, they would, they, they, there'd be a lot of ones because when you do gossip, there is a weight that comes on you. There is a, a death that grips you. There's a, there's a, a negative force that grips you. There is a, 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 a weightiness to those conversations. That's not good. It's not godly. It's unclean. And you leave feeling like your, your spirit's been defiled. Your conscience has been defiled. The reason being is because you have taken time to sow into the carnal, the flesh, and you've reaped the corruption of it. Paul says in Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, if you sow to the carnal nature, you know, there's an old preacher, they used to call it this way. He said there's two dogs in life. And your spirit man and then there's your fleshly man and you can either feed your fleshly man but whatever dog you feed most is going to bark loudest that's why it's good to go through you know one of the ways you can actually practically exercise self-denial is by taking time to fast and pray because when you're fasting and you're praying you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh you're putting at bay the deeds of the flesh you're always going to have a battle with the flesh people you know guy came up to um tl osborne once i think it was tl Osborne and said, uh, Brother Osborne, I, I, I want to stop being tempted. I want to stop having these fleshly you know, desires and stuff. He said, can you pray for all those fleshly desires to go and never come back? And he said, would you like me to pray that you die? Because that's the only way it's going to happen. You're always going to have the flesh. But the good news is, is by the Spirit of God, you never have to fall victim to the deeds of the flesh. You never have to actually tie on the rope that leads you as a slave to sin because of the deeds of the flesh. You never have to go in that direction. The Spirit of God, remember Romans 6 says that you have received the Spirit of God and you can walk in newness of life. A lot of people who use Romans 7 as a way, a scapegoat to keep on living in the flesh, keep on living uh, um like a Christless life, keep on living in sin. They, use, they say things like, you know, well, Paul said, the thing I want to do that I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do that I do. And so, you know, if Paul was struggling with that, then obviously he was an apostle. We can obviously struggle with the same things. Paul was actually alluding to his pre 
pre-rebirth uh, life. He was talking about his pre-Christian life. He was talking about the struggle he had without the Holy Spirit, the struggle he had without having the power of God in him that enabled him to walk in freedom from sin, in victory over sin. Read this with me. Romans chapter 6. This is powerful. Romans chapter 6. Uh, Romans chapter 7. So he says, I find that a law that is evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, and I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I also saw, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's recalling the way he used to think before Christ came and lived in him. Listen to this. Thank God through Jesus. So people read Romans 7 and that's like their life verse. They don't move on to Romans 8. It's a good rule of law in reading and interpreting scripture to not just take one part of scripture and then forget the rest of the book. Read through the book. You'll find out a lot of things that you thought meant something actually mean the total opposite. I thank God through Jesus Christ. So he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, so listen, verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free. So he's saying, Romans 7, that's what I needed to be set free from. And praise God, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the laws of sin and death. Oh, hallelujah. You know what a law is? It's something that governs a realm. So when I was in the law of sin and death, those laws governed my life. Sin and death governed my life. But now he joined the realm of the spirit. And as such, the laws of the spirit govern his life. And what's the law of the spirit? He moves on to say, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So that's Paul saying, you don't have to walk according to the flesh another day in your life. There's so many people that say things like, you know, how many of you know we sin every day? Not if you're practicing what Jesus said to deny yourself. I'm not saying you're never going to have temptation. Temptation can come. But the biggest lie the devil has sold our generation is that you can't fight off the temptation. And that ultimately you can't live in holiness. You can't actually keep to the highway of holiness and to the pathway of perfection. Let me tell you, holiness and perfection is not a destination. It's a pathway. It's a highway. So that means you could, you could mess up one. I mean, people mess up all the time. But that doesn't mean that you can't jump back onto the highway of holiness and keep yourself on it. And you don't have to fall back off. You don't have to keep, you don't have to stumble off of it. You can keep to that pathway. Paul said it this way. He said, not that I have apprehended perfection yet. He's saying that I haven't arrived at perfection. But one thing I do. I keep to the path of perfection. I forget those things which are behind and I lay hold of those things which are ahead. I keep my flesh in subjection to my spirit. Oh, hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Let him that runs in a race, or know ye not that they that run in a race all run in such a way that they might win. 
For athletes are very disciplined. They keep their flesh into subjection to their regiment and their schedule in order that they can obtain a perishable crown, a gold medal at the Olympics. But we, Paul's comparing us to athletes now, we keep our bodies in subjection, subjection to the will of our spirit so that we can obtain an imperishable prize. An, unper- an imperishable crown, an eternal crown reserved in heaven for us. And he moves on to say, therefore, knowing this, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection to my spirit, lest I should be disqualified in the race. So he says, I practice, I mean, Paul said it, I die daily. There has to be a dying to self daily. What does it mean to die to self? It means to crucify your passions, your agenda, your priorities, your desires, your will, your willpower is is done. Once you came to Christ, you said, Lord, it's no longer I who lives. You have the reins of my life. You're in the driver's seat. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for you. My life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself away so that you can use me. That's a powerful song, powerful lyrics to a song. My life is not my own. My life does not belong to me. The Bible says we are, Paul said it many times, I'm a slave of Christ. What does a slave do? A slave doesn't wake up at any time he wants. A slave doesn't do whatever he wants. Slave can't go to a master and the master say, I need the floors clean. And the slave says, well, to heck with that. I got other things to do. A slave doesn't act like a rebellious teenager. A slave does exactly. You know, the centurion said, I have a servant who when I say do this, he does it. When I say come here, he comes. When I say get this done, he gets it done. And he was talking about authority. Well, Christ is our authority And we're slaves of Christ, slaves of righteousness, so that now when we wake up in the morning, the first thing you should do is put your hand to your head and say, Lord, I'm checking in, reporting for active duty. Do what thou wilt be done through me. You know, Jesus said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, can this cup pass for me? No. God's going to ask you to do some things in life that you don't want to do. You know, you're you're in the market. You're, you're at a grocery store and the Lord nudges on your shoulder and says, I need you to reach that guy in front of you. I need you to preach the gospel to him. You, you might not want to do that. You might think like, man, that guy doesn't even look like he, he's a very approachable person. He doesn't look like a nice, kind guy. Might have tattoos all over his face. Might look like a gang member. You know what David Wilkerson did once? He came to Nikki Cruz, who's now a powerful preacher. But Nikki Cruz wasn't always a powerful preacher. He was a gangbanger. And so one day, David Wilkerson was doing street evangelism, which it's not something he wanted to do. It's something the Lord told him to do. Evangelism isn't by choice. Evangelism is by command oh that's that's powerful evangelism isn't by choice evangelism is by command so david wilkerson is on the streets ministering to all these guys and nikki cruz who was like the leader of the gang comes up to him with a switchblade in his hand and he says i'm gonna cut you up into a million pieces do you think david wilkerson in the flesh wanted to stay there do you think david wilkerson in the flesh you know at that moment felt so blessed And you know, he felt inspired. No, he probably felt like running the opposite direction. But he understood, I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a slave to his gospel. And I'm going to win the loss at any cost. I'm going to be all things to all men so that by all means, some might be saved. And you know what Wilkerson said? Even if you cut me up into a million pieces, every one of those pieces will cry out, Jesus loves you. Nicky Cruz fell down on his knees at that moment. The anointing gripped and captivated his heart and he gave his life to the Lord. And he's like, 
like 80 something years old, still preaching crusades all around the world. Hallelujah. See, there's a cost to following Jesus. But let me tell you something that most people don't talk about. The reward to following Jesus far outweighs the cost of following Jesus. The reward of discipleship far outweighs the cost of discipleship. Jesus was talking about Everything, you know, he started to talk in John 6 about his body is bread indeed and his blood is drink indeed. And he that feeds off my body and drinks of my blood has my life in you. And the people were like, this guy's lost his mind. And the Bible says many from that moment onward left Jesus and followed him no more. And Jesus looked to his disciples and said, do you also are you also going to leave me? And Peter spoke up. One of the few times he said something good. And Peter spoke up and said, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then if you read, I believe it's in Matthew's gospel. He says, Lord, what is in it for us if we follow you? I think it's in Matthew chapter 10. Yeah. What is in it for us? Let me read it so you don't think I'm blowing smoke. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 11, not Matthew chapter 11, Mark chapter, Mark chapter 10. If you're just joining me now, you do a great help to me if you'd, sh if you'd share this broadcast, help get this word out to as many people as possible. It's not Mark chapter 10. Let me get it on my phone because this is a good scripture. Matthew 19, there you go. Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. Listen to this. Peter answered and said to Jesus, See, we have left everything and have followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? We have left everything and have followed you. What, should, what are we going to get out of that? Jesus said to them, that's such a carnal desire. You shouldn't expect anything in life. You should just be disciplined no matter what the outcome. Jesus didn't give him some cheap religious answer. Jesus replied, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, so he talks about eternal life, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But then verse 29, he says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life when that day comes. So he says there's a temporal benefit. You know, Paul told Timothy, godliness is profitable unto all things since it holds promise, not only in the life to come, but also in the life that is. There is a temporal benefit and reward and there is an eternal reward. And the reason why people oftentimes give up is because they don't look to the reward. Faith, by faith, Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses endured and forsook Egypt looking to the reward. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, he, dis, he um, despised not the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, let me read it. It's slipping my mind right now. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and the great cloud of witnesses is a Hebrews 11, Heroes of Faith chapter, where he starts to talk about all the, the, the people that believed God and got blessed because of it. So great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's the self-denial that, that takes place daily. We're lay, laying aside the weights, we're laying aside the sins, we're laying aside malice, we're laying aside corrupt talking, we're laying aside the deeds of the flesh. We are, like Romans 8 says, putting to death the deeds of the flesh so that we can live. We're doing what the Bible says, to put away from ourselves all of these evil desires, all of these things. And as a result, we look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this, even Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So people can't pick up the cross daily because they're not looking to the joy set before them. They're just looking to the pain of the cross. Look to the joy that's set before you. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. So people become weary and discouraged because they're not looking to the joy. That's why in my preaching, you'll notice, I don't focus on the negative side of things. I focus on the positive. I focus on the reward. I focus on what God will do. I focus not on the cost of obedience. I focus on the reward of obedience. Now I talk about the cost of obedience, but I always bring it in to get people to, to look at the reward of obedience. I mean, you, it's how dogs are trained. You, you go and you get a dog, Try and get it to sit. Nothing. Then you start taking treats out. Then it's going to sit every time because it looks to the reward. The, that's what these promises are. They're rewards for obedience. And it's not wrong to want reward for your obedience. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But whoever comes to God must believe two things. That God exists and He is who He says He is. And then two, that He is a rewarder of them who do diligently seek Him. Oh, I don't do it for the reward. You should do it for the reward. I do it first and foremost because I love God, but I know that you can't love God at a loss. Oh man, there's anointing on that. You can't love God at a loss because every bona fide lover of God takes high places in life. That's why people talk about picking up the cross and they, I, don't wanna, I don't really want to hear about that. I don't want to talk about that. Not even knowing that it's in picking up your cross that you enjoy life the most. It's in picking up your cross that you see God work through you the most. It's in picking up your cross that you start to see what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, neither has entered the heart of man. Those are the things that God has reserved for those that do love him. So denial of self is, and I'll get on another part of this. Denial of self is not just putting away sin. Denial of self is not just going where you want to go, doing what you want to do. A lot of people, they say, well, you know, I think I'm going to go and, I think, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna become a, a carpenter. I think I'm gonna become a, you can't become what you wanna become. I say this all the time. The plan of God is not to, to, to be determined. The plan of God for your life is to be discovered. So there's a lot of people, well, you know what? I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna move to this city. I think I'm gonna go and, and live there. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna change churches. That. You don't just do what you think. Self-denial, part of it is not mine will, but thine be done. Not what I want, 
but what he wants. Not what I think. Self-denial is also in your mind. I don't think what I want to think. I set my mind on whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is excellent, and whatever is worthy of praise. Those are the things I keep my mind focused on. So self-denial has to do with your flesh and your mind and your spirit. So your flesh, you, you're not ruled by your flesh. You know that whole demonic, hedonistic slogan that Nike has? Just do it. If it feels good, just do it. It's demonic at the core. That thought is satanic. Because that's what Satan used on Eve. Hey, look, that's a good tree. Looks nice to eat. Just do it. And she did it and got her into a lot of trouble. So I don't just do it. I just do this. I do the Bible. I keep his commandments. I focus on his word. I carry out his instructions. I don't just come up with what I want to do. I ask the Lord, what does he want to do? That has to take place daily. You have to deny your ambitions. The Bible says where there is self-seeking and self-serving, there every demonic thing exists. Where there is self-seeking, this is James 3, where there is self-seeking and self-ambitions, selfish ambitions, there every demonic thing exists. So you living a life like that, you actually attract demonic activity around you. Demons love people that think that way. Because they can, they can screw those people up hard. Because they're not knitted with God. They're disconnected from heaven's purpose. And they become worldly. And remember, it's the whole world that lies under the sway of the wicked one. It's only those that have God's seed that abides in him that the wicked one cannot touch. But if you're of this world and you think worldly, 1 John 2, do not love the world nor the things of this world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of, uh, uh, the, lust of the flesh, the, the boastful pride of life, and the lust of the eyes, these are not of the Father, but of this world. So when you're ruled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, you actually are falling back under the government, the government of the devil. And are subject to his laws and his decrees as a result. So it's not, oh, I call myself a Christian, so I'm automatically blessed. No, it's in picking up your cross and fully disconnecting from this world and fully connecting with the next world to heaven that these blessings uh, start to kick into motion. Let me move on to three, which is what this broadcast is about. Pick up your cross. What is picking up your cross? I'll tell you what it's not. Picking up your cross, number one, is not sickness and disease. There's so many people that think picking up the cross is sickness. Picking up the cross is disease. It's illness. It's physical infirmity. You know, that's the, this, everybody's cross is different shape and different form. No, it's not. Picking up the cross is not you getting afflicted by a demonic oppression. God's not going to lay on you what he already laid on Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't double-minded. He wasn't telling people to go around and pick up their crosses daily and then also telling people that he'd want to, uh, he goes around healing all that were oppressed of the devil and then telling people that they're going to have to take the cross of sickness up on their shoulders one day. He's not going around healing and putting sickness on people at the same time. He's a healer and the devil is the afflictor. So the cross, there's a lot of people that say, well, this is just my cross. It's not your cross. 
See, that's what happens in North America and Western culture and stuff, when Western Christianity, when there's not much persecution, actual Bible persecution, they take the word suffering from the Bible and the context, they, they twist the pure context of suffering discussed by Jesus, discussed by Peter and Paul in the epistles. They take the pure meaning of it and they twist it and distort it so that it can adapt to Western culture. But we're not adapting our culture to the to um we're not adapting the word of God to our culture. We're taking our culture and our mindset and we're to be renewed by the washing of the water of the word so we can start thinking the word. So when Peter's talking about suffering, he's not talking about sickness and disease. He's not talking about poverty and lack. He's not talking about demonic torment and oppression. Those are all things listed as the curse of the law. Those are all things that Jesus came, the Son of Man was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. Those are the works of the devil. Jesus wasn't saying in one side of his mouth, he's not a, a snake, has two tongues. He's saying in one side of his mouth that uh, he's a healer and he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And then on the other side, he's saying, no, I'm actually going to bring the cross of sickness. Some people, their cross is poverty. Some people, their cross is demonic oppression. And one day it's going to be worth it if, they just, if they're just faithful to their cross here of sickness on the earth. They'll receive a new body one day. That's not, that's absolutely not the message of the gospel. Paul and Peter, in talking about suffering, it's always in reference to a persecution that was about to hit the people that they were writing to. So that gets me to my point. What is the cross that we have to pick up? It's not sickness. I said, why would Jesus redeem us from the curse of the law and then proceed to tell us to pick up the curse of the law again? Doesn't make any sense. So it's not sickness. It's not uh, poverty because the Bible already says God's going to supply all their needs according to his riches and glory and God's not going to annul his promise by his cross they're not opposed to one another they're not, um, they're not, they're not contradictory so it's not poverty, it's not demonic torment, it's not depression or anxiety. Well, this is just my thorn in the flesh. This, I did a video on my Paul's thorn in the flesh uh, two weeks ago. I'd suggest you go and read that if you think it's, your Paul, it's Paul's thorn in the flesh or it's your own thorn in the flesh that God's not taking away because it's not. That even Paul's thorn in the flesh was in reference to the persecution that he endured because Jesus said, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer as he bears my name amongst the Gentiles and before kings. So the cross is not depression. Because how could he be in his presence be fullness of joy and then you pick up a cross that brings depression on you? How could he say, I'll give you the oil of gladness and then also give you the cross of depression? It doesn't make sense. People need to think through their doctrine. People need to actually think through what they believe. They'd find out really quick. Maybe that's not right. Something's off here. Doesn't make logical sense. And the cross is not guilt for your past wrongdoings or your mistakes. What is the cross? The cross, because if it was your past wrongdoings, that would annul the whole gospel in its entirety. Because the whole purpose of the gospel was to take away sin by remission of sin. And I said this on my broadcast last week, the remission of sins is not just the forgiveness of sins, it's the annulment and the cancellation of the penalty of sin and then the removal of the guilt of the sins of your past. Hallelujah. So the cross is not a reminder of the sins of your past. The cross... Jesus' cross removed the guilt of the sins of our past. And the cross we pick up daily, what is it? It is the intense persecution that you're going to receive because you hold to the word of God. 
We're starting to see this a little more in America and Canada and Western cultures, Western Christianity. We're starting to see persecution you know, intensify slowly and slowly because there was a time where Christianity was celebrated in America. Now, if you hold to the fullness of the Bible and the doctrines of the Bible, you've become the prime minister of my nation in Canada called evangelical Christianity, enemies of progress in Canada. So you've become an enemy now of this world. If Jesus said it, they have held my word and the world hates them because they keep to my word. If you think, if you think that preaching the gospel, holding to the gospel of love, and even healing the sick and seeing miracles is going to get people to, everybody to love you. Jesus said, woe unto you if all men speak well of you. So it's actually a problem if everybody loves you. Nobody, not everybody loved Jesus. There were people that plotted together to betray and kill him. Not everybody loved Paul. He had a group of persecutors that followed him from city to city to kill him. And Paul said in Galatians, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Today... If you're a speaker of truth, truth, you've become an enemy of a lot of people. And the cross that Jesus tells us to pick up is bearing the insults, bearing the attack. You know, you have to understand this. The people that hate Jesus and God, they can't hit God. They can't go up into heaven and, and, and air their grievances with God. So what do they do? They go after his representatives. And so Jesus is saying, because you're my representative, your cross is to take the assault yourself. Your cross is to bear the assault yourself. Your, the cross that you're called to pick up is whatever they would tell me, they're going to tell you. But if you're faithful and not caving and not giving in and carrying that cross daily, Charles Spurgeon used to say this, he said, there's no crown bearers in heaven above who were not cross bearers here on the earth beneath. There are no crown bearers in heaven above that, are no, that were not cross bearers on the earth beneath. So it's almost like, you know, I said it before, that when you pick up the cross and when you give things up and when you, when you, uh, bear, when you take the heat of people that hate God releasing on you, Jesus said, there's nobody who does that who won't be blessed in this life and also in the, in the life to come. It's almost like the blessing God puts on you here and then heaven for eternity is like, it's like a reward for taking the heat that was actually supposed to be directed at him. So since people can't direct their hate at God, they direct it at you because you're his ambassador. Bible says, blessed are you when men hate you. Blessed are you when they say all kinds of evil things against you. Doesn't say get sad and, you know, God can't bless you beyond the level of criticism that you're able to handle. God cannot bless you beyond the level of criticism that you're able to handle. If you have, thick, if you have thin skin, you're not going to make it long. If you actually carry out the, the scriptures. You know, that's why a lot of people, they, <laughs> that's why a lot of people don't even want to get through to the true gospel. Because the true gospel offends. And they want to avoid persecution. There's a lot of people, a lot of ministries, who their whole life is spent avoiding persecution. And by doing so, they've proven themselves to be enemies of the cross. Listen to this, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. 
at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, keep seeking those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of, of, uh, of the Father, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Then you skip over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I've told you often, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people, I said it, that try to avoid persecution. Paul was not trying to avoid persecution. There was a time where a prophet came to him and took his, his belt and bound his hands and, his, and his, his, uh, his hands and his legs and said, so shall the man who owns this belt be bound at Jerusalem and, um, and be, be delivered into the hands of the, of, of the Jews. And they begged Paul not to go into Jerusalem. They begged him to stay clear of Jerusalem. And you know what G Paul said? You know what? You're right. That seems kind of harsh. Uh, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. Paul said, I'm not only ready to be bound at Jerusalem. I'm ready to be killed for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, if you're trying to avoid persecution... You'll never be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Acts 20, 24, I don't consider my life as any account dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. People are going to hate you. I mean, I, I, I keep bringing this up. I just started a TikTok like a month ago or a month and a half ago. And you'd be amazed at how much, you know, we have a lot of good feedback. Amens, you've inspired me. Uh, I'm coming back to God because of this video. We've had a lot of great stuff. 95% is amazing, uh, amazing reactions to what we're posting. But you have like the 5%, especially on Instagram, you know, where they're, they're they hate God. They, they do not like hearing, even, even stuff that talk about blessing. Even, I mean, Forget the world. You'll find Christians. Talk, talk about picking up your cross. The cross isn't just the persecution from the outside world. If you truly want to walk the straight line and the, the narrow way that leads unto, unto life, you'll, you're going to take heat and flack from other Christians who feel guilty because of your devotion and consecration to the Lord. If you want to step out and have miracles, you got to pick up your cross because you're going to bear heavy persecution. False prophet, scam artist, false teacher, charlatan. People are going to call you all kinds of stuff. Liar, deceptive. He, he deceives the people, whatever. If you, if you can't take the heat, you're not going to be used much in the supernatural uh, ministries that God has for you. Anyone that has operated. Jesus. They called him the demon. They call him the prince of demons. They said this man cast out demons because he's in league with the prince of demons. 
Said he's in league with the devil himself. That's why he's able to do these stuff. You know who was, who was accusing him of that? People who couldn't cast out demons. People that couldn't see the sick healed. People that never had a miracle happen in their entire lives and ministries. See Jesus now operating in God's power. And what do they do? Because they can't, because they, they could no longer explain away the power of God through like twisting the doctrines of the Bible. They now have to tell this guy, they have to steer people away from Jesus because he was offering the people something they couldn't offer. And so to save themselves, they had to devalue the ministry of Christ by the words that they spoke. See that a lot in, <laughs> today. You have people that, that have never laid hands on a sick person and seen them recover, and then they write books on people that operate in that, how they're false prophets and you know, Jesus said, an even an adulterous generation seeks after signs and wonders. First of all, people that operate in healing aren't seeking after signs and wonders. We're preaching Christ and signs and wonders follow them that believe. And then secondly, the reason why they write those books is because since they don't have that power working in them, because their own rejection of that message, they now have to come up with an excuse and they use doctrine that they can twist to explain away the power of God or the lack of the power of God in their own ministries to get people off their backs. But the beauty about modern technology is people are waking up. The people are waking up. They're starting to see. There's a line that's dividing the real from the fake, the authentic from the counterfeit. You have to be ready to suffer persecution. That's the cross of Jesus. So stop telling people that sickness is your cross. It's not. Stop telling people that your, your marriage failing is your cross. It's not. The, cr the cross Jesus told you to bear will never contradict the promises he's made to you. Man, that's good. I'm going to say that again. The cross Jesus told you to bear will never contradict the promises that he's made to you. Didn't write down 2,000 promises of healing in the, in the scriptures only to then throw in a curveball with the cross and say, no, sometimes it, it works out differently. That's not the purpose of the, the cross is taking the heat on yourself. People falsely accusing you, saying all kinds of evil. You know, Peter and John, they go and heal a guy in, at the gate called Beautiful instead of them being promoted and, and them being, uh, you know, applauded. They end up standing on trial before the Sanhedrin who tell them to never teach or preach in the name of Jesus again. And then they beat them with rods. And you know what their reaction was? See, if you have this reaction, if you have this, this weak heart where it's like the moment someone criticizes you because you're walking, you don't even bring it up again. You're never going to do much for God. You know what their reaction was? They left after having been beaten with rods. They left dancing and rejoicing Having been found worthy to suffer name uh, for suffering shame for his name, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I'm not trying to avoid persecution. I don't care who the gospel of who the who's offended by my gospel. I don't care who who, who gets hurt by the gospel because I know as many as will be hurt, there's that much more that'll actually receive and be saved. And my loyalty is not to people's feelings. My loyalty is not to people's minds. 
And then there's, you know, the other group of people that they don't even preach the gospel. They're just annoying to be around. And then they count, and then people, you know, they speak ill about them. And then they think that that's the cross. The cross that comes on you is not the persecution you receive or incur, you incur as a result of you being annoying to everybody or you being an instigator. It's just the simple, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That in itself is going to steer people up to hate you. You don't need your own jerkish attitude to help to that. There's people that act like jerks and then they get persecution. Come on them. And then they say, you know, how many of you know God said, no, you're just a jerk. You're not being persecuted because of the gospel. Those people actually might even receive the gospel if you had preached it purely. You're getting persecuted because people don't like you. Because of how mean you are and unkind you are. That's why Paul said, far be it that I should boast in anything else but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I incur persecution on my life, it's not going to be because I said something stupid. It's not going to be because I said something mean. It's not because I was rude to someone. If the persecution comes, it's because of my boasting in Calvary and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ when he shed his blood for me. People want to hate that part about me? Hate it all you want. Because that Christ is my life. There's a high cost of following Jesus Christ. It's not for the faint of heart. That's why Hebrews 12 says, you should consider Jesus and how he endured hostility from sinners against himself. You think everybody received Christ? He said, there are going to be many that don't receive you. When they don't, you don't have to waste your time continuously trying to persuade them. Shake the dust off your feet. Go to the next town. He, listen to this. This is important. Lester Summerall taught me this from his book. He said, your, other people's minds is the wrong place to store your happiness. Other people's minds is the wrong place to store your happiness. Stop letting your mood depend on what you think other people think about you. Who cares what other people think? That's what denial of self is. It's I, 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 I care less. I could care less. Couldn't care less for my reputation. I don't care if man hates. I don't care if man's disturbed by me. I don't care what they say about me. If I'm living for an audience of one, if he's happy, we have this as our ambition, Paul said, that we live lives well-pleasing to the Lord. So you add your auntie with a saggy Tweety Bird tattoo on her stomach. Come out and write it, this whole post on your Facebook post that exalted Christ and talked about healing and all that. And she didn't, I don't believe that. And then you got discouraged. And you never did another post on healing because of it? If I stopped preaching healing because of the pushback I've received on healing, I would have stopped a long time ago. Much of what I preach, I wouldn't preach any longer because there's always something that people are going to find a problem with. And if you let that beat you down and you let that disqualify you, you're, you're, you're going to be a victim of insecurity the rest of your life. And like Lester Summerall said, you're going to be controlled by the minds of others, what they think about you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of healing. 
I'm not ashamed of salvation. I'm not ashamed of holiness. I'm not ashamed of tongues. I'm not ashamed of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not ashamed of the, 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 I'm not ashamed of righteousness. I'm not ashamed of God's word. I'm not ashamed of prosperity. I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of my God. For it's, he is the power. He, he, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. I'm not ashamed. I want you to write that in the comment section. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because I, as I said before, if you, don't have, if you think the cross is like I listed before, poverty or lack or whatever you're going to be so screwed up because you're not going to actually have a backbone to stand for the gospel because you think you standing for the, uh, against that sickness is your cross. When the Bible never says to stand against sickness, it says lay hands on people and get them healed. So when people don't understand what the real cross of Christ is, they direct their efforts to things that Christ already redeemed us from. When people don't understand what the cross of Christ really is, they direct their energy and time and efforts towards things that already Christ has redeemed us from. But when you understand, and that's when you get a bunch of doctrines on suffering, you know, the gospel of suffering. How many of you know God's got to take you through the valley to get you to the mountain, amen? No, that's not in the Bible. And I challenge anybody who can find me a scripture that says that. You can't find that in the gospel. You can't find that in the entirety of the Bible. And so you have full books and volumes of books telling people that they should bear their sickness and take it as a crown of glory. And, and then they stay sick and die early deaths. When in reality, because there's a lack of persecution in Western society as a whole, we're not getting what they're getting overseas in Africa. You know, Africans, some, some areas in Africa, they understand this. Places in the Middle East, they understand what the cross is. People in China that have underground churches, they understand what the cross is. And when people don't understand it, they come up with all kinds of perverted doctrines that couldn't be further from the truth. And then when there's actually, I mean, look in the last year and a half, when there's actually a time to stand and bear the cross, keep your churches open, keep on going to church, stand for our rights as Christians in the land to worship God freely, what happened? Everybody backed down. They saw the burning fiery furnace. And because they were taught that the cross is just suffering sickness or disease, they, they didn't even think that was the, their cross, to actually stand in times of persecution. When the devil says you can't meet, we meet all the more. When the devil says you can't sing, because there were some places in 2020 where they were telling people you can't sing, you sing all the more. You saw there was a line drawn in the sand. People who are ready to suffer intense persecution and people that were just playing church for the last 50 years. A big line drawn in the sand. And you'll see the churches that took a stand are going to fly high in the coming years before Jesus returns. And the ones that backed down and bowed, just like the other Israelites that bowed in Shadrach, no, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only Jews in that day. There were thousands and hundreds of thousands of Jews in that day that all bowed to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. But they said, we're not going to bow, we'd rather burn. But you know what? Instead of burning, they got promoted. When you take a stand, God will never lead you backwards. He'll never lead, lead you downwards. He'll always lead you to supernatural promotion. 
There'll always be a reward. There'll always be an increase. There'll always be growth that comes on you. That comes your way. Many want the Christ of the cross. And they don't want to actually carry the cross of the Christ. Many want the Christ of the cross. But they don't want anything to do with the cross. The, the, the cross of the Christ. But I believe God drew you to this broadcast. We're not going to have some sissy believers raised up in this broadcast. We're not going to have some weak, beat down, weak-spirited, spineless Christians raised up in this broadcast. God is using this broadcast and he's drawn you to this broadcast because he's raising up a mighty army of soldiers who are ready to endure hardship for the Lord Jesus Christ who are ready to suffer shame for his name, who are ready. You know, Reinhard Bonnke said at a Bible college a couple of years ago when he was alive, he was preaching at the river of Tampa Bay, and he said, I'm looking at the Bible college, I'm looking at the first wave of the end time martyrs. Are you ready to go all the way? Is there a limit? Is there a line that you've driven? You've drawn in the sand? This far will I go for Christ, but I won't go further? Or have you resolved like Jesus did? In that garden, not mine will, but thine be done, and thine be done, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Some people can't even bear a little insult on the street. If you can't do that, you're not going to lay your life down when the time comes, if the time comes. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully you don't ever have to make that choice. But when the time comes, are you ready to do what Jesus said? To lay down your life? Are you ready to pick up your cross and follow him to the end? Or are you going to be like one of those that's trying to preserve his life, preserve his reputation, preserve other people's perspective of who you are? Or are you ready to say like Paul said, I'm ready to be counted a fool, counted a fool by the world if it means looking wise in God's eyes. I don't care what the world, I mean, you look at what the world thinks is cool these days. I don't want to be cool. If you look at what the world tolerates, this not tolerates, exalts and, and, and uh, is entertained by these days, if you look at what the world celebrates today, I don't want anything. To, if more than ever am I intent and resolve to go the other direction. And I'll tell you something. A dead fish can't flow upstream. They follow the stream. It takes a living fish to swim against the current. If you're watching today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're dead in sin. And you're just going to flow in the direction of this generation. It ain't going to take you anywhere. It's just going to take you, the Bible says, a broad way that leads unto further destruction. And the way you come alive is by, the Bible says, He made us alive in Christ Jesus by coming to Christ today, making Him the Lord and Savior of your life. You might be watching this broadcast and you're saying, Preacher, I, I, used to, I, I grew up in church. I, I heard everything you've said. I heard it preached when I was young. And I had a bad thing happen to me. And ever since then, it, it weakened my spirit. I was like that soil that was very shallow and a little bit of problems, a little bit of trouble, a little bit of tribulation arose because of the word. And I, I faded away. And I've not been living for God. I've not been walking with God. I've backed away. I've shied away. I've been ashamed of the gospel. But today, 
Like the prodigal son, I'm going back to the father's house. Like the prodigal son, I, I'm returning. I, I, I'm through doing things my own way. There was a way that seems right unto men. It's end only brought me death. But today I'm turning to you, Lord. I'm coming to you. As I am, make me alive. Turn me around. Give me that spiritual zeal and stamina to run and endure for your name's sake. And God will give it to you. If you're watching right now and you, you, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're not living for God. Maybe you've never even heard the gospel that Christ died for you. That he rose again for you. So that you, you know, it's amazing. The king became a criminal and took on the criminal's penalty so that we, the criminals, could take on the king's royalty. The king came and took on the criminal's penalty so that we, the criminals, can take on the king's royalty. That's the message of the gospel. That we were all dead in sin. But the living one came and died for us. He was the seed that God planted in the ground that when it indeed died, it bore up. It, 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 it raised up and bore much fruit. And that fruit is you right now hearing this message. Don't turn a deaf ear to this. Don't harden your heart. Today's you hear his voice. Give your life to Jesus. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the most opportune time you'll ever have to receive Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do that now? Or maybe you have, but you want to recommit your life to Christ. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Where I was weak, make me strong. Turn my life around. I will live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me. And I'll never be the same again. I'm putting on Christ. Heaven is my home. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I'm never looking back. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'd love for you to get on my website, salvationnow.ca. Fill in the first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill in the form. At the bottom of the page, there's a link to a video that I made for you on YouTube. Four basic things I would tell you. Four things every Christian must know. It's going to greatly help you. Do that now. Um, and and uh, yeah, fill out that form. I'd love to hear from you. For the rest of you that are watching right now, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the fire of God <coughs> would come. In your spirit. Because all of this, you know, the reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to face the fire is because there was a fire in them. God is an all-consuming fire. He empowers you to face the fire and the flames and the tribulation. Jesus said, in this world there will be tribulation, but take heart. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So the power to overcome the tribulations of this world. Remember, Jesus said, to him that overcomes... The hour of trial, I will also preserve him from the hour of temptation or tribulation that's going to come on the earth. Revelation 3. That's talking about the wrath of God poured out in the tribulation. The Bible says to him that overcomes, just as my, I overcame and my father gave me a seat at his right hand, he that overcomes, I will grant him a seat with me on my throne. So the power to overcome is by the, the fire of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. That word witness is the Greek word martyrs, which is where we get, or martyrs, which is where we get the word martyr from. What's a martyr? It's one who's ready to die 
for what he believes in. The power to be ready to die and pick up your cross to the end. No matter what comes. No matter what man does. No matter if I go to jail. No matter if they put me on a firing squad. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to stand for righteousness in the land. The Bible says that power comes on you when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John, John baptized with water unto repentance. But I have come to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. John was the Baptist in water. Jesus is the Baptist in the Holy Ghost and fire. The Bible says very clearly that the Holy Spirit and this baptism isn't something you have to beg for. It's not something you have to cry out for. It's not something... You don't have to, to, to plead with him for it. You don't have to compel God to do it. All you need is a heart that first and foremost has been washed by the blood of Jesus, which if you're watching right now, you either gave your life to Christ or you've been in Christ. And then secondly, not only a heart that's right with God, but secondly, a heart that says, Father, I receive by faith and I'm hungry for your power at work in my life. That's the only prerequisite to receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's no hoops you have to jump through. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, you know, there's no terms you have to subscribe. There's nothing. All you have to do is be blood bought, blood washed, and then have a hunger in your spirit that says, Lord, I can do it by myself. A humility that says, I'm not going to be able to stand in my own strength. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That power comes on you. Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by your own strength. It's not by your own might. But by my spirit, says the Lord, that it's going to get done. So wherever you're watching, if you have the ability to do it, lift your hands. Wherever you're at. And I want to take, take your right hand and put it right on your, your belly. That's where your spirit is. John 7, 37. The Bible says, Jesus cried out on that day of the feast, if any man thirsts, see there it is again, the only prerequisite is that you thirst, the only prerequisite is that you're hungry, that you're, you drop your pride that says I can do it on myself, I can do it by myself, and you start to get humble and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, because it's only when you do that, that he's going to lift you up, and the Bible says it's only by the anointing, Paul said in Philippians 4.13, it's only through Christ that I can do all things, I can do all things by Christ. What's Christ? Anointing. It's by the Holy Spirit. By the anointing of the Spirit that you can do all things in life. And that includes standing up for the gospel. And so as you have your hand put on your spirit, Jesus said, as he that, he that thirsts, out of his belly, that's why I said your belly, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I believe there's some people watching right now. The grace of God has kept you on this broadcast because you've grown weary and well-doing. You've, you've been faint of heart. You've thought of giving up. You've thought of quitting. You've thought of throwing in the towel. You've been discouraged. It was a word of somebody that got you to back down and you've been shy and you've been timid. But I want to remind you, God didn't give you a spirit of shyness. He didn't give you a spirit of timidity or fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And from today, in the mighty name of Jesus, there is a baptism of the Holy Ghost that's coming on you, a baptism of fire, a refreshing from heaven. Oh, the Bible says, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. God is pouring out that oil of the Holy Ghost on you to an overflow to rise up in this day. In Jesus' mighty name, strength by His Spirit is coming alive in your spirit. 
in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You're going to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to run and not grow weary. You're going to walk and not faint. You're not going to be those that stumble badly and are constantly in this vicious loop and, and cycle. You're going to move from glory to glory and victory to victory and strength to strength and faith to faith. Not by might, not by strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord God. In Jesus' name, receive the mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. The fire of God is going into your body, into your system right now, burning out every trace of the flesh, all the deeds of the flesh, all the traces of, of the first Adam, whatever weakness or characteristic traits or anything that came on as a result of the first Adam, the fire of God is burning out the impurities of the first Adam and is branding into you the perfection of the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ. Your desires are changing even right now. Your passions are changing even right now. There's like some of you, you crucified your flesh once, but then you brought a resurrection to that flesh. Well, that flesh is being re-crucified right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And new passions, new desires, a new agenda, a new direction in life is coming your way. You're not going to wake up in your, every morning and think, well, how can I best serve me? It's going to be, how can I best serve God? You're going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness you're going to be one like i opened up this broadcast jesus speaking in luke chapter 14 that those who hate brothers and mothers and if any man does not hate brothers and mothers and fathers and sisters and lands and properties more if he doesn't hate those things more than the, the or doesn't love me more than he loves those things he's not worthy of me and he cannot be my disciple there's a rekindling of a first love that's coming alive in you in Jesus' mighty name. That first love that dwindled out. God is, God is kindling the coal of the fire of God on your altar today. In Jesus' mighty name, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. Power to live right, power to talk right, and power to act right is coming on you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.